invite you to turn back with me to the book of Acts and to that portion of scripture we read just a few moments ago. In Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5 from verse 12. So we, we have in our home, um, on the mantelpiece of our dining room, we've got a display case full of beasties. Okay? So these are loads of moths and uh, spiders and beetles and other sorts of creepy crawlies that over the years my dad has has collected and he's kind of arranged nicely in this uh, box for us. Now, I look at these beasties and I love these things, you know. I sort of see them as a wonder of God's creative genius. I love them. My wife, on the other hand, not so much, you know. My wife on the other, she, uh, you can almost see her sort of visibly shudder and shake every time she looks at them or every time she has to walk past them. Now, there are, aren't there, things even within the life of the church that make us squirm, things that make us shudder. Now, I think we had a, an example of that last Sunday morning in in our morning service, we talked ever so briefly about hell. And we talked briefly about judgment. And, you know, it makes us a bit uncomfortable, you know, makes us squirm. So we had an example of that last week. And do you know what? We come to another example of that this week here. Because you see this summary passage. In this summary passage that we've got in the book of Acts, what Luke does is Luke focuses on the power of Jesus Christ in the church, and the power that Jesus has to perform all these uh, wonderful, miraculous acts through the church. But he does something else. He also focuses on the context. And in doing so, what happens is that Luke leads us to the rather uncomfortable subject, the rather uncomfortable topic of believers meeting regularly together as a church. As believers meeting regularly together as a community of faith. So that's our topic. That's what we're going to look at this morning, just for a short while. And we're going to consider four aspects that we see in this text here. Four things about that. So I suggest let's jump in. Let's make a start. Let's think about the first of those four points. Let's consider the place that the believers met together. The place that they met together. So I don't know if you see it. Verse 12, we are told that the believers met together in what was called Solomon's Colonnade. Okay? Solomon's Colonnade. So what on earth was that? Well, Solomon's Colonnade was what you might call if you've gone to university or college, it's what you might call a cloister or a portico. So Solomon's Colonnade, you've got to imagine, if you, let's put our minds in gear, a sort of wide covered walkway that kind of dominated the eastern side of the temple in the first century in Jerusalem. This wide uh, colonnade. Now, when we hear about Solomon's Colonnade, it really should sort of Ring some bells, shouldn't it? Solomon's colony should prick our memories. Why? Well, we're, we're told, aren't we, in the Gospels that Jesus Christ, he frequented Solomon's colony. 
that in Solomon's colony, Jesus taught that Jesus performed some miracles there. Okay, so we should be familiar with it. Why else? Well, we're going through the book of Acts, and what does Acts 3 tell us? It tells us that Solomon's colonnade was that place. Do you remember when Peter preached to the crowd after he had healed the crippled beggar? Do you remember that? He stood up front of all these people and preached to them. Well, he did it from Solomon's colonnade. So do you see, we should be familiar with this place. So, I wonder, do you see what we've got here in this church meeting regularly in the same place? Do you see what we've got? We've got here a work of marketing genius from the New Testament believers. We've got a work of marketing genius. Do you you, you see what I mean? The Christians here in Jerusalem, they're going back time and time again to the same place, aren't they? They're going back time and time again to a place that is already associated with the work of Jesus, a place that is already associated with the work of the church. They're going back to an open walkway. Do you see it? The church is meeting so that the inhabitants of Jerusalem, all the people in the city are going to see them, and they are going to begin to associate that very place, that part of the temple, with the work, with the witness of the church. So the believers want everyone in Jerusalem to know they meet in Solomon's colonnade. So it's an exercise, if you allow this, it's an exercise in raising the profile of the church. So it's a work of market genius. But do you see why... Um, the believers might want to do this. Why do the believers want to raise the profile of the church? Well, surely it's so that the, the, the people of Jerusalem, when they hear all this talk, these rumblings through the, the city about Jesus, when they hear these things, or when the Holy Spirit works in their hearts, it's so that the people of Jerusalem will know who the Christians are. And it's so that the believers, and the, the, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, rather, will know where to go to hear more about Jesus, more about faith, more about the gospel. So, friends, I think we do have to think very, very hard about what we've got here in the summary section because I do think it's very important. You see, in Reformed churches... In, uh, Bible teaching just like ours and denominations like ours we're not all that big on uh, sort of new fads or methodology really are we? We don't really go in for that all that much but surely what we see here is a strategy that we must adopt. Now get this we must try to become as high profile as Christians as we possibly can. I'll say that again. We must try to become as high profile as Christians as we possibly can. Now, we can do that in a whole load of ways, can't we? I mean, the obvious way to do it, how do we become high profile as Christians? We tell other people about Jesus, okay? And that's the obvious thing to do. There's other ways too. I mean, we can be very proactive on the net, on Facebook, on, on Twitter. We can let our friends know. We can let the world know that we follow Christ, that we are Christians. We can do that. 
But I tell you, more obviously than that, we can raise our profile as a congregation, can't we? I mean, think for a second about this building that we've got here in the centre of London. St. Botoff's without Alders Gate, okay? Now compare what we've got here to the situation of the New Testament believers in the first century. Now, where are they meeting, right? They are meeting in Solomon's Colonnade. They are meeting in an open walkway. They're meeting where everyone can see them, where passers-by know exactly what's happening, what is going on. We have to work hard at this, don't we? We need to have posters, signs outside displaying exactly who we are and what we believe. We have to get to a situation where passers-by know in there is a gospel-centered church. We've got to get to a situation where, just like in the first century, all the people in Jerusalem knew are the the Jesus people. You know, the Christians there in Solomon's Colonnade. We need to get to a situation where the whole of the Barbican, the whole of the city, when they have any question, any problem, any query about faith, they know, ah, see the Jesus people. I know where they are. The Christians, they meet, they gather down at that church there in Aldersgate Street. Do you see it? We raise our profile as Christians. We raise our profile as a congregation. And we do it for the glory of Jesus Christ. So the place that the believers meet together. Secondly, let's think about the people who met there. So the place... What about the people? Um, So once every four years, the matter of church attendance becomes something of a hot topic, doesn't it? I wonder if you can work out why. Why does every four years become a problem with church attendance? It's because of the World Cup, isn't it? You know, every four years, lots of guys and lots of girls have their allegiance to, to church tested by the World Cup final. So where are you going to be on July the 13th? Are you going to be on your couch or are you going to be uh, in the church? Well, I think Acts 5 has much to teach us here about our motivation for being here, about our motivation for coming together as a a group of believers. I mean, we've seen where they met in Solomon's Colonnade, but who was there? You know, Solomon's Colonnade, who was meeting together? Do you see it in in the answer in verse 12? Because it says simply all the believers met together in Solomon's Colonnade. You know, we, we see that the attendance at this place at Solomon's Colonnade, that it was universal, that it wasn't all the believers were there, Except those were kind of tired that morning. And it wasn't, you know, all the believers were there except those who had a wee bit extra work. It's not like that. I mean, the church didn't always meet in Solomon's Colonnade. We know that. But when we see them gathered there, we see that all of them were there. It was universal attendance. But I want you to notice something else. Because, you see, verse 12 also has this kind of undertone of solidarity it's a sort of undertone of togetherness we don't really pick that up with with the what we've got in front of us in the the church bible 
some of, some of you might have other translations, and some of them render it better because it says, try and get this, all the believers met together in one accord. See that? All the believers met together in one accord. In one accord. We've heard that before. You know, that is an expression of love and harmony that the church, church had here. Do you see what we're coming to? We get a situation where universal attendance went hand in hand with unity of heart. And again, I think that there's, surely there's much that's helpful for us here. Now, I guess when it comes to applying this, since we're talking about believers meeting regularly together, we could go down that sort of, that guilt trip route quite easily, couldn't we? You know, we could say that we should regularly attend church because God tells us, you know, Hebrews 10, do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. We could say that. Or we could simply say, believers, you're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, you know. Uh, you should want to worship God. We could go down that route. I suggest we do something different just now. Let us consider why those believers in the first century wanted to go to Solomon's Colonnade. Why did they want to be at Solomon's Colonnade? Well, think about the context. Think about the main theme of these, these verses here. What have we just been told? We've just been told that the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. Do you begin to see why people wanted to be amongst the church there? They wanted to go to Solomon's Colonnade because this was an incredible place to be. They wanted to go to Solomon's Colonnade because God was active in the most incredible, exciting way. They wanted to go to Solomon's Colonnade because it was a thrilling place to be. Now, we, on the other hand, are in a kind of entirely different situation, aren't we? We've almost entered into this down spiral with church. And we talk about a day of small things. We talk about a day when God's not working the way that he used to work. And so practically for us, it means that our attendance drops off. Church is dull. Church is boring. It's the same weekend, week out. We're not seeing God in power and therefore other things encroach. Other things take over. Now what I'm going to say next, I want you to get, please hear this. Church becomes an exciting place to be the more you come to church. It does. The more you come to church, the more you will find yourself aligning with your fellow believers in Jesus Christ. The more you come to church, the more you worship God, the more he reveals himself to you, the more you see how he can work and how he does work, the more you come to church, suddenly what happens is that that downward spiral, it's out the window. It changes and it is replaced by this marvelous upward spiral where the more you come, the more you want to come to church. So, here is our appeal for this morning. And it is not, I assure you, that sort of legalistic appeal to make sure you check off 
the right amount of services throughout the week in the right times that you come in. It's not that. Here's the appeal. Let us put away half-heartedness toward meeting together before God. Let's attend. Let's come together. Let's come to church without fail. Even when we're tired, we come here and we worship. Even when we're busy, we make this a, a, an absolute priority in our, in, over everything, in all of our lives. Why? Yes, because God tells you to do it. And yes, because of course we should want to. But why else? Well, because if God blesses us when we come in here, and if God favors us, then just like that church in Jerusalem in the first century in Solomon's Colonnade, I tell you this, this place here, this congregation, it will become an exciting place to be. It will. So the place the people, let's think about a byproduct of meeting together, a byproduct. So we think about the, the, the five verses or so that we, we have here. The focus is on the church. But we're also told of two responses that the people outside the church had to the church. We're told of a couple of responses that the people who were living in Jerusalem had to the folk who were gathering at Solomon's Colonnade. So we need to look at those. What do we have? Well, do you see that the first one, we're told that it's a remarkable thing, isn't it? That the people of Jerusalem dared not join the church. You see that? It says they dared not meet with the believers. Now, ah, it's a strange one, isn't it? Why? Why would they not? Well, think about what we've just seen. Remember what we looked at last week? We looked at Ananias and Sapphira, didn't we? And I, we're told there, I suppose unsurprisingly, that given the fact that both Ananias and Sapphira have both just dropped down dead, we're told that fear, the fear of God engulfed the church, but we're also told that the fear of God engulfed the population of Jerusalem. So, outside, they dared not join with the believers. That's one response. It was a reluctance. There's a second one, though. So what's that? Well, I, I've got a friend in Scotland. Um, he's, a, he's an older chap. The guy is retired now. I think some of you know who he is. And uh, people told me a story about him. He did not tell me this story. Um, for years, this guy in question used to regularly attend church. Okay, So, you know, faithful guy. He uh, would get up in the morning, every Sunday morning, without fail, and he would get smartly dressed, you know, get the tie on, and look for his Bible. He'd have to get the Bible. I'm sure he was prayerful before he went to church. And he would go out to his car, joyfully, uh, faithfully and expectantly, and he would head off for church. Okay, and he did this week in, week out. Now, one Sunday, his neighbor, so this is a guy who'd lived by, beside him for, I don't know how long, let's say 20 years, 30 years, a long time. His neighbor went out to see him one Sunday morning as he was getting into his car. And he said to my friend, he said, 
you know what? I'm having a nightmare. My life is falling apart. All these things are happening to me. And each week I look out and there's you, happily, expectantly, joyfully getting in your car and you're going to church. And the neighbor said to him, he said, this morning, is there any chance that I can come with you to church? Now, is that not the other response that we see from the population of Jerusalem in Acts chapter 5? Because we're told, yeah, we get it, that some, there's this sort of reluctance, but it also goes on to say that even those people held the believers in high regard. That what we see is that this, this population, this city, they witnessed the believers in this place, in church, that they saw them meeting together with that joy, with that passion for Jesus Christ. They saw them attend with real faithfulness, regularity, and joy. They were impressed by that. And what does that lead to? Do you see verse 14? Because of that, we see more and more and more people come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. What we see is there was fruit from that raising of the profile of the church. Now, I wonder, I ask you, do you see that the, the further incentive we have there for just simply getting up out of our beds on a Sunday morning and coming to church? It, I mean, I don't want you to get it wrong. We come to church to worship God. That's why we are here. But do you see from that the the byproduct and the consequence that we, we have here, if we raise our profile as a church and as, as, as Christians, if, if we are seen to be meeting together, then perhaps just as it was in the first century, God will honor that. Perhaps God's going to bless that. He might even use that as the catalyst to bring people into his glorious salvation. What a consequence, what an incentive, surely. And then we'll end. We've seen that the place and the people and the byproduct. I just want to, in a word, say something about the power in meeting together. The power in meeting together. So the, the section that we have deals largely with the life of the church, doesn't it? And it deals with people coming back this pattern of meeting together in Solomon's God. But as the section ends, what Luke, the author, does is he goes back to the beginning. And he goes back to his main theme and he starts talking again about the miracles, the great wonders that were performed in the church. And I don't know if you picked up on it when we were reading it out. But do you see that what he describes was a scene of desperation in Jerusalem? I mean, these people, when they hear about the power that's available in the church, they are laying out their relatives and their friends on the streets to be healed. I mean, real desperation. They themselves lying out in beds. You know, some of them, they're just desperate to be covered by Peter's shadow in order to be healed. So I guess the question we've got to answer is what's going on here? Why God working like this? 
Why was God working through these miracles? And, okay, I get it. The, the sure part of it was that these miracles were God's way of validating the church's message, weren't they? You know, that if you think about what was being said at Solomon's Colonnade, they were preaching and teaching people that Jesus was continuing to work in power. And so what does God do? What does Jesus do? He continues to work in power. He shows them. He heals people. He heals the blind, the sick, and, and the lame. So part of it's authenticating the church's message. It's part of the reason for the miracles. There is another reason that God was working in miracles. And here's where we end. This is where we close. Do you see that this miraculous healing power of God that we're reading about here, that it was the answer to one specific prayer of the people. Do you see that this whole section was the answer to a prayer? Everything that we're reading about here was the answer to a prayer. Go back in your mind just a few verses. And we see in chapter 4, verse 30, we see all the believers gather together. They all bow before God and they say to him, Lord, please, Father, please, stretch out your hand to heal and to perform miraculous signs and wonders. What does God do? They pray. What does God do? God answers straight away. There's this authentication. He acts in miracles. It's it's thrilling, isn't it? I mean, it's exciting. There is this direct answer to prayer. So we end with just this very, very simple question for you, for the congregation here. Do you want this place to be an exciting place to be? I mean, do you really want this church to be a thrilling place where we, we see God's hand and power? Do you want that? Really want it? Well, what we see is that that comes when we all get together, when we meet together as a body of Christ and we worship before the throne of grace. And we also see that it comes when we all get together and we pray and we ask God to pour out that great power upon us, upon this congregation. And if we do that, you see, if we meet, if we pray, if God favours that, what is going to happen we too, just like these people, we are going to experience power, real power from God. Maybe not the sort of fleeting, temporal, physical power. Something different. Something much greater than that. We will see and experience the eternal saving power of Jesus Christ. Isn't that fantastic? Should we not meet? Should we not Let's attend church. Let's treat our lives and let's treat this place as Solomon's colonnade and let the world see and let the world hear that Jesus Christ is King. Let's pray.